You know, Mike, it was actually a student sermon that was very helpful in one of those sort of great spurts in this area. Many years ago, uh, I remember a student quoting one of the Puritan divines, William Gurnall. And Gurnall said, the reason we fear men so much is because we fear God so little. One fear crowds out the other. And by the way, vice versa, if we fear God, then the fear of people just kind of dissipates and it kind of, uh, it's not as, as pressing. So when he said that in his sermon, it really spoke to me personally. And I've sort of been on that track since then. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 220. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And the voice that you just heard is that of our guest this week, Dr. Jeffrey Arthurs. Let me tell you a bit about him. Dr. Arthurs is a professor of preaching and communication at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts. He also is one of the hosts of the Preaching Points podcast, which is a great podcast featuring Gordon-Conwell professors designed to provide regular inspiration and encouragement for preachers. Super short episodes, so if you have like a short commute or want to listen to like five or six minutes of succinct encouragement, do check out the Preaching Points podcast. In addition to the podcast that you're listening to right now, of course. <laughs> um, but Dr. Arthurs is mostly probably widely known for his writing ministry. Um, he's the author of a book called Preaching with Variety, another one called Preaching as Reminding, and, and more. His most recent book was co-authored with Dr. Adam Copenhaver. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he was the guest last week on episode 219. Um, and what it is, it's a Colossians and Philemon commentary in the K. Rooks commentary series, which is published by Kriegel Academic. And that leads me to this exciting announcement. We're giving away some copies of this beautiful hardcover book to the listeners to this podcast. So the way that you enter to win this Colossians and Philemon commentary is to visit our Twitter page, Instagram feed, or our Facebook page. And what you got to do is you got to like the featured post. It's the cover of the book. You got to tag a friend and then make sure that both you and your friend are both following in order to be entered to win this book. So the winners are going to be randomly selected uh, on Instagram Live at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or 4 p.m. for those of us on Greenwich Mean Time on this coming Monday, May 9th. And their names are going to be announced on our social media pages. We're going to tag them. So you don't need to watch it live, but uh, I think you should. Me and my daughter do it together. It's cute. It's heartwarming, I think. <laughs> anyway, thanks to Kriegel Academic for these copies of this important book. You know what? Uh, more could be said, but I'm just going to get out of your way and let you listen and learn from Dr. Arthurs himself. I hope that this episode, this giveaway, and all that we do at the Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Here's Jeffrey Arthurs. All right. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I'm really excited to be speaking to Dr. Jeffrey Arthurs. 
Um, honored to have you on the show. You are, you know, a real powerhouse in the world of homiletics and preaching. And so we're all beneficiaries and fans. Thanks for coming. Good to meet you. Uh, good morning to you, Mike, or good, good afternoon, your time. Yeah. Well, first question I just want to just want to ask, I think this is kind of a, a helpful way to help us get to know you. Um, do you want to tell us about the first time that you taught the Bible in public or, or preached a sermon? Um, how, how, how was it? How did it go? Yeah, uh, memorable for many reasons. I was 16 years old. Okay. And had my first uh, sermon at that time. I wish I had a recording of it or even notes or something, but I bet I don't. And I preached on God's white night um, from Ephesians mm. 6, the armor of God. Mm, okay. And I didn't know anything. So I had pictured like a medieval night, you know, with armor and, and all of that. And I just went verse by verse or piece of armor by piece of armor <laughs> through the different uh, uh, pieces of armor and commented on them. <laughs> yeah. All right. So did it go good? Were you happy with it? <laughs> you know, it was kind of an out-of-body experience. <laughs> 16 years old, first time. And as far as I could tell, it went fine. Uh, I do wish I had a recording of it. <laughs> Yeah. What was the, what was the context or who were you preaching to? Was it other 16 year olds or was this? Uh... Yes, it was in a Christian school. That was back in the early days of the Christian school movement. So I guess it was a chapel weekly or however often we had chapel. Okay. And I got to, to be the speaker that day. Wow. So speaking to your peers, did you, did you get much or any feedback or, or, how, how did you feel that it went when you stepped down off the podium? Did you I, I feel? do remember that they were paying attention and that's okay. a victory. <laughs> uh, maybe it was just the novel, novelty of having me speak, but uh, they paid attention. And afterwards, I think there were the normal, like, Hey, nice job. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, uh -huh. uh, no, uh, you know, life changing impact that I was aware of. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. And, and was your second one like immediately afterwards, was there a long pause between the first and the second? It was uh, not too long after that. It may have again been in that Christian school. I do remember when I graduated from high school, the, our pastor had a tr tradition of letting one of the the, the young men, one of the preacher boys <laughs> uh, speak on Sunday morning regular church and and I uh, preached on Sunday morning. I remember that as being not very successful. I went too long. I wasn't very coherent. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's my memory of that event also. Okay. Well, that was, yeah, quite a while ago. And thanks for letting us in on that. Um, God's white night. My friends and I were really passionate about preaching, even at that age. And Somehow we let it be known in our little geographical area, which was rural Pennsylvania, uh, that we were available, there were three of us, and we were available for pulpit supply, you know, pastors going on vacation or whatever. And so even in high school, we got the chance to travel around and preach in various places. And that was great experience. <laughs> I, I love that. I, what a, what a wonderful thing to hear about. It makes me feel, yeah, when I was 
not in high school, but in, in Bible college. So, you know, me and some other kind of, you know, kind of nerdy friends, we had a little, like, um, we called it the, the pick and preach club. And we would just kind of assign each other Bible passages to kind of practice preaching on. And it uh, seems like yours actually did a lot more good for the world than ours did. Ours was like a little internal club, but you are helping the, the region. So I'm excited to hear about a fellow young nerd. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So yeah, now, you know, you've, you've, uh, so the progress that's been made, uh, one of the things we try to focus on in this podcast is, is, um, the act of growing, you know, um, we, we speak a lot about, you know, this, this show is to, to help you grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. And so, you know, whereas now I think you have, uh, maybe not arrived, but you certainly have a, a great clear confidence and you're, you're, you've instructed, you know, hundreds of, of preachers. Um, how, how is your process of growth um, from 16 up until this current age? What are some things that you used to do and you've stopped doing? Yeah, um, my process has been slow. You know how uh, we're often, it takes time to change. It's included uh, uh, a lot of growing in knowledge. Uh, like you, I went to Bible college. I majored in Bible. I had a minor in Greek. Uh, went to seminary after that. So the knowledge component is, is real important. Uh, in terms of personal growth, I think maybe the the biggest way that I've grown is I used to be very tied up in knots after I preached. So I'd preach a sermon and then I would have all this post-sermon you know, dialogue, you know, monologue in my mind. How did I do? Did they like me? Oh, I forgot to say that. And all this uh, rehearsal of all the mistakes and all of that. And I don't experience that nearly as much now. I think I still have some of that. Okay. But I think I've learned in my preaching to fear God and not fear people. I think I'm still learning because I, I have the disposition of being a man pleaser. I want everybody to be happy. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I'm less uh, fearful of how did I do? And, oh, I probably offended them because of verse 13 said such and such. And now I see myself more as a steward. I'm responsible to God. And I just want to say what the text says. And if it's offensive or whatever, well, I didn't make it up. God said it. And I'm under the same authority of the word. This applies to me also. So we listen to the word. So I think in personal growth, that's uh, been one of the changes I've seen over the years. Yeah. And and strangely, it seems like that that growth in, in confidence, um, it, it comes not from you being more confident in yourself, but being more and more convinced that what you're saying based on God's word is actually reflective of God's word. Like the closer you stick to the text, I think the more confidence you can have for that. Yes. And that I'm responsible to him and not ultimately to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be judged by my faithfulness and, and everything on how well we handle the word, not how popular we, we are. Um, preaching and pastoring is not a popularity contest. Took me a long time to really let that sink in, I think. Yeah. 
You know, Mike, it was actually a student sermon that was very helpful in one of those sort of great spurts in this area. Many years ago, uh, I remember a student quoting one of the Puritan divines, William Gurnall. Yeah. And Gurnall said, the reason we fear men so much is because we fear God so little. One fear crowds out the other. And by the way, vice versa, if we fear God, then the fear of people just kind of dissipates and it kind of, uh, it's not as, as pressing. So when he said that in his sermon, it really spoke to me personally. And I've sort of been on that track since then. <laughs> wow. So wow. Take, take hope. Student sermons can actually be <laughs> ministry. <laughs> so a student sermon, as in he was preaching in your preaching class and you Correct. were there to give feet. Wow. Wow. Correct. Does he know what a what a trajectory he's? I mentioned it to him way back then, but I've yeah. lost touch with him since then. <laughs> oh wow, that's 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 encouraging. That is encouraging. Yeah, and it's a, uh, it's like yeah, on on a scale, I guess you know, like one of them. If if there's a lot of weight on the fear of man, then there'll be a lot of lightiness on the exactly. Yeah, that's and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, the inverse is true. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for highlighting that. Um. So. Hmm. So you recommend that we should go listen to student sermons and, and see what we have to think <laughs> or, or uh, be open to the, the truthfulness of, of God, wherever it, wherever it comes. Um, I, I wonder too, on that, since you have heard a lot of student sermons and heard a lot of like, you know, young people just kind of uh, trying this, what are the sort of mistakes that you are like the most frequently noticing? Now, you know, I, I know too, it's not all mistakes. As you just mentioned, you, your life can be changed. But what are the sort of mistakes that young and new Bible teachers tend to make? Yep. Um, yes, one common mistake is taking what I would call more of a thematic approach to the text rather than rigorously figuring out what's the author talking about and what is he saying about what he's talking about. And that's what I'm going to say. A more thematic, you know, a thematic approach might be uh, from such and such a passage. I'm going to preach about faith. Okay, well, that's good. The passage is about faith, but it doesn't say everything about faith. What is the author saying about faith? What's it about what he's talking about? You know, faith is the result of uh, the preaching of the word of God. Okay, that's more narrow than just faith. Well, Faith uh, is evidenced by uh, good works. Okay, well, that's a different idea. Faith uh, is the gift of God given by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a different idea. So, But I hear uh, students, you know, just uh, uh, take what I'm calling a thematic approach, and they go off on faith here, there, and everywhere else, rather than this is what the author is saying, and that's plenty for this one sermon. Yeah. Wow. So, so I, at first I thought you were talking about like titling the sermons or, you know, that it's, that it's, it's, it's too vague, but um, the specificity is valuable, not just in what they should expect, but, but you're saying what they should be talking about at all. They should do the work to, to go beyond just the vague theme and to say what kind of faith. And then I'll talk about that. That's right. And I'm getting this uh, uh, approach and this value of preaching from Haddon Robinson, 
who used to teach here at my school, and he wrote the best-selling textbook called Biblical Preaching. He passed away a few years ago. But Robinson says, uh, what's the author talking about? That's called the subject. But here's the, here's the, 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 the genius in his system. What is he saying about what he's talking about? And he calls that the compliment. It completes the subject. And I gave three examples about, you know, faith. And so we want to press ourselves into what he would call the compliment. What's the author saying about faith or good works or the deity of Christ or whatever the more general theme? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you didn't mention this, but you are now the, the Robinson chair of preaching. Uh, so you're quite literally continuing that, that legacy. And, you know, I've, I personally learned from his, his book so much and many in our, in our circles have, um, and that's a great, yeah, he's always pushing us towards specificity. And so thank you for, for helping. Can I give you another mistake that I see often? Please. Yeah. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. (laughs) Trying, trying to say too much and sort of diluting the impact of the sermon, uh, trying to cover every uh, corner and every nook and cranny of the text or, or even from their own ideas that, you know, if if you're preaching about faith, well, uh, they think of something else and just, uh, trying to do too much in 25 minutes or 40 minutes or 17 minutes. I, you can't accomplish that much in a short period of time. And so to quote Robinson, again, he used to say less is more. Fewer ideas dealt with in more depth, more time spent on those ideas actually results in a greater impact or Spurgeon said, one nail driven home is better than 20 tacks loosely fixed to be pulled out in an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you, you you mentioned William Grinnell earlier, if I pronounced the, the um, and isn't that style of preaching, that Puritan kind of preaching, would you kind of, is that kind of 20 tacks? Or do you, do you believe that, that Grinnell, you know, because I've, I've read his three-volume, actually, funny, connecting all of these, I've read his three-volume uh, book on the Christian in complete armor, the God's white knight, actually. And, and that was examining it from, like, every possible angle exhaustively. Um, so are you saying, I'm trying to put words in your mouth, but, like, is that model of preaching maybe not as effective today? I, I don't know. It's a good question, but remember he was writing a book, not preaching a sermon, or he probably preached a whole series of sermons where he took a little, little smaller truth. So I'm not sure we can characterize Puritan preaching as proliferation of ideas. Maybe. Okay. And and maybe, and if that is the case, then as you're suggesting, maybe. Uh, people could listen better in a former day. Hmm. They were yeah. more literate. They thought more in organized categories, and they were getting more patience. It wasn't a noisy, entertainment-saturated world. So, so maybe the the power of simplicity is uh, growing uh, in our culture. Yeah. And uh, uh, with all due respect to the Puritans of whom I'm incredibly indebted and have have done more than I ever will. Um, but yeah, yeah. 
so I, I, maybe they do have so many things to say, but yet it all seems to be burrowing down on the same topic rather than pulling in several just diverse new ideas. Yeah. Okay. Well, they, hey, anything else? What else? What else do young or new? Uh, you could go on all day, couldn't you? Yeah. They're just uh, uh, typical problems, uh, not just student preachers, but, you know, non-student preachers out there. And those are just problems of delivery. And you saying um or swaying back and forth, this kind of uh, more uh, performance oriented, you know, the public speaking aspect of preaching also. And the best way to overcome those is by uh, receiving feedback from somebody that loves you. But even better, I think, is watch yourself on video. It is the great schoolmaster <laughs> that reveals all. <laughs> Yep. Yep. And, and the bane of live streams is also the, the blessing yeah, in that yeah. no one has an excuse of it wasn't videotaped. They're all videotaped now. Yeah. And so we're able to, to do so. Uh, yeah, I, I still say, um, and I hate it and I'm trying so hard and, and it was some my, of that, some of that is okay. Cause it adds a conversational quality, but too much is, is too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I didn't, I didn't know until my brother-in-law who loves me very much, uh, you know, sat through a sermon and said, that was good. But you said, ah, uh, like a hundred times. And I was like, no, I didn't. I don't do that. And then turns out I actually do. And no one, no one was caring enough to actually tell me because, you know, that the content is good or, but, you know, but like the goal is to improve, to, to reach more people, to be more. Yeah. There's, there's, there's reasons to it beyond just like vanity or. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd love to hear about like your sermon preparation rhythm uh yep. you are preaching week to week um in addition to your your academic ministry but what 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 happens in a week leading up to a sermon that you deliver yeah i actually don't preach uh, every sunday oh okay because i'm a full-time professor and i'm a part-time pastor at this uh chinese american church you and i talked about earlier uh, but even there, I only preach once or twice a month. And then I might be a guest preacher somewhere else in that area. So I'm not doing the regular uh, uh, preparation like a metronome of a fellow like yourself. Um, those Sundays roll around with amazing regularity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, when I was pastoring uh, and preparing each Sunday or more nearly each Sunday, my, my rhythm would look like I would try to work at least two weeks out uh, in, in advance. And I always begin with exegesis. I try to discipline myself not to leap to what am I going to say about this? The homiletics, the, 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 the relevance, uh, what illustrations and, you know, all of that. I just try to say, what's the author talking about? What's he saying about what he's talking about? So exegesis, you know, word study and what's the context of my passage and what's the cultural setting and all of that. I try to do a lot of that study, that initial study on my own with a good old inductive Bible study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. I'm happy just, to hear that. Yeah, just ask questions of the text and you can answer a lot of them from context or whatever, but I just I ask questions and then eventually I'll go to the commentaries to help me in answering those. And I'll read four or five or six commentaries on my passage. 
I've always had the, the privilege of being near a theological library. It's about 50 yards that direction for me. So I had more commentaries than I know what to do with. So then after sort of microanalyzing the passage, taking it apart with all its details, then I bring it all back together with that uh, methodology of Robinson, the subject and the complement. What's he talking about? What's he saying about what he's talking about? That gives me the main idea of the passage. Now, at that point, I'm ready to move to homiletics. How can I organize this? What illustrations will I use? What questions and, and you know, disagreements or whatever is the audience likely to have? And so I start moving toward relevance and persuasion and uh, creativity and more of the homiletics. Okay. Um, I, yeah, two, two follow-up questions on there. You, um, you mentioned trying to anticipate the disagreements of your audience. Um, I, I don't think many people, at least on this show, have, have highlighted that. Um, why do you spend time trying to think about what is hard to swallow uh, about, about your passage? I think of preaching uh, using uh, John Stott's metaphor his great book of uh, homiletics is called Between Two Worlds. Yeah. Maybe you're going to pull it off the it's, shelf. It's, 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 I could. I, I can touch it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, but but we, all, we all know and love that book. Right. So preaching is standing between the world of the text and the world of the listener. Okay. And there's a gap. There's a ravine or a chasm or a river. Okay. What, why is there a gap? What, what is the gap composed of? It could be lack of understanding. The Bible says this, and they don't know what that means. Okay, right. Okay. Hmm. But more uh, poignantly, or more, I don't know, troublingly, is lack of agreement. Yeah, right. So they might understand it. Yeah. But in their heart of hearts, they might be feeling like, uh, is that true? I'm not buying that. You got to be kidding me. And so there's a gap, and the preacher uh, who senses a gap based on assent or agreement has to take his or her stance as a, uh, an apologist, a persuader, a defender, not just a teacher, not just an explainer. That's important. But now going beyond that into saying, no, this is really true. Let me explain to you why. And I think maybe our poster child in doing this great example might be Timothy Keller. He's very good at anticipating and hearing their skepticism and addressing it. Yeah. And how, so you, you're presently, as you mentioned, an interim pastor of a Chinese American church. Um, how, and, and that's not from my assumption about you, that's not your background. Um, how, how do you, what what research are you doing? How are you trying to learn? What are maybe even the unique Chinese American objections or questions or disagreements about every passage or each passage? Yes, uh, I need to do a better job of that. But I have done things like I have talked to the longtime youth pastor, mm -hmm. and I've said, "Now help me get inside the minds here." When 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 I say, or when the Bible says such and such, how do they hear that? 
I've kind of experienced, so I've talked to people like that, experts or, you know, longtime people. I taught, we have a, a leadership team. Uh, we call it the core group. I talked to the core. Um, what else have I done at that particular church? Talked to my co-pastor there. But in other churches I've been part of, I used to have a sermon prep team. And I deliberately invited uh, people that represented different demographics in the church, like uh, the older person and a young person and the, the working person. And, and, and we would meet about once a quarter, and I would present to them our passages. I might even present to them a particular sermon that I was working on, maybe the big idea. And I would get their input, and they would send me illustrations, and I would hear the text through their ears. So I tried to get feed forward, uh, not just feedback. So I've done things like that um, to help with that audience adaptation side. Yeah. Did did you invent that term, feed forward? I don't think so, but oh. uh, I use it a lot. Yeah, um, never, yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Because, yeah, feedback. Yeah. On the one hand, it's valuable, but then it doesn't keep you from making those mistakes. It only highlights the ones that you did. Feed forward. That's that's wonderful. And then I, I guess it's thank you for bringing in those two different church situations and examples, because maybe the, the temptation is to see, oh, the Chinese Americans, that's a different culture than yours. So therefore you need to do it. But even if it's other you know, people that have grown up in the same, on the same street as you, there, there is a, a gap that we need to work hard to fix. And we don't want to assume, oh, well, they're the same. We're all, the, we're all the same here when that's actually not the case. Yeah, I think by virtue of uh, common grace, maybe by virtue of the Imago Dei, all of us are creating the image of God. I think what we have in common is greater than what we don't have in common. Mm, okay. Um, and Mike, you've lived in California, you live in Ireland. People yeah. are people, right? Sure, yeah. By the way, chronologically also, the Corinthians, we're the Corinthians, you know, we have the same kind of problems. So there's a lot of commonality and the Bible is a universal document. Having said that, there are differences also, men and women yeah. and different races and ethnicities and age groups and all of that. So uh, it's helpful to think about the differences also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, and then the second thing to come back to with what you said is you mentioned that you, um, you, you consult about, you know, I think five or six commentaries, what you said, and, and obviously there's so many more than you could, that you could, but you filter through to what might be the most useful. What's that process of, of finding the, the five or six that you're going to use at, at the exclusion of others? Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I often turn to names that I know or series that I know, like the Niveback, N-I-V-A-C, is a good series. The New International Version, what is it, Mike? Application, Application commentary. commentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, that's the, a good one. The, the, the white ones, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Um, I, I, I often turn to the Tyndale series. They're smaller. Yeah, they're purple. Yeah, they're, they're good. They're, they're well-written. Yeah. 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 And then I turned in names that I know, whether it's John Stott or William Hendrickson. So, you know, that's my process of discernment. It's not particularly uh, elegant. Okay. Okay. So you're not, not polling the other seminary staff to, to find out what's the, the new or the latest 
but uh, sometimes, but not usually. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, this is me. Now I want to pivot transition into, do you have any commentaries you'd recommend on Colossians and Philemon? <laughs> well, thank you for, for mentioning that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Kriegel Publishers is doing a whole Bible commentary, every book of the Bible. Yeah. Um, moving very consciously and overtly from exegesis through sermon. So it's a, it's a commentary series designed for preachers. So it's kind of like the NIVAC, but I, I think it's probably even better than that for an actual creation of sermons. And thank you, Mike. I, wrote, I co-authored uh, the Colossians and Philemon volume. And I also did Ephesians, by the way. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't preach Ephesians lately, so I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. So every volume uh, has an exegete. Uh, my co-author on that one is Adam Copenhaver, PhD in New Testament. He's a pastor. And then a homiletician. I was the homiletician for how would you actually preach these various uh, passages? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, our, our church, we, we preached through Colossians earlier mm-hmm. this year and um, broke it up between myself and the other elders. And so I, I, I use this for my sermon and then hand it. And so this, this has a lot of fingerprints on it because this has been handed from, from preacher to preacher um, along with some other ones and very positive um, feedback from that. And so um, thank you personally. And on behalf of the elder team at Calvary Cork, thank you for this. Um, no, I got the head of series is called Kerouks, right? Which is the Greek word for uh, proclamation or, uh, you know, proclaimer, Keruso, the verb. And so it's a, what's the subtitle there? A commentary for biblical preaching and teaching. Yeah. That's the genius of the, uh, the series. Yeah. Well, and I, I got to speak to uh, Dr. Adam Copenhaver, and um, your episode is going to release right after his. Right. And yeah, and Kriegel Academic or Kriegel Publishing, they've decided to give away um, some copies of this. And okay. so uh, the details are going to be found on our social media. Right. Um, uh, I'm sure you have to like and follow and share or whatever, but those details can be found on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Great. I, I hope your listeners uh, will, will buy many copies. Remember, Christmas is coming. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to give away a few, but we need them to buy the rest of them. <laughs> um, okay, so that's that was a, a shameless a shameless plug, but the goal is to give them away. So, um, okay, so now I want to talk about you about another book that I've read of yours, Preaching with Variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, you kind of make a case for, and I, I, correct me if I'm oversimplifying this, but essentially like genres of a passage playing a large role in how we shape our actual sermons that, that come from that. Does that accurately summarize it? Is there, there more to say? No, that's very good. Uh, the big idea of the book is that God has inspired. I have a conservative evangelical theory of inspiration. God has inspired not only the content of the Bible, but also the form whether it's a psalm or a proverb or a parable or, you know, and, and, and we expository preachers are not only trying to say what the text says, that's the content, but also trying to do what the text does. <laughs> so if the text sparks imagination, well, I should try to do that. If the text 
causes me to ponder and scratch my head and figure that out. I should try to do that in the sermon. If the text uh, 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 elicits high emotion, I should try to do that because that's part of inspiration and part of expository preaching. That's the idea. Yeah. And so a, a question. So let's say if someone's preaching uh, Psalm 88, uh, the, the famous one that ends on a, on a, on a note of despair, you know, darkness the, darkest, is my own. the darkest chapter maybe in the scripture. Yeah. So preaching according to that literary genre, um, should the sermon end with no hope? Um, but that's a great. Yeah, it's a very specific, very tricky yeah, question. Yeah, and you're you're maybe putting your finger on the the source spot in the system. <laughs> the maybe the exception. Um, well, I actually have preached on Psalm eighty-eight, and I've talked about the hidden hope in lament. It's hidden, but it's there because we're going to God with our complaint, but. But more specifically to your point, I didn't try to wrap up the whole sermon with a pretty ribbon on it because lament and open-endedness is breathed out by God and it it should have some place in our Christian experience as a follower of God. And so I've concluded that sermon with a hymn based on Psalm 88, a hymn that uh, one of my friends uh, wrote, and it's it gives people the chance to lament. And there's, there's hope in doing so, and there's corporate solidarity in doing so. Now, having said that, I don't think it would be wrong to end with hope. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't feel compelled uh, to to make a move to heaven is coming, or uh, we know that all things work together for good to those. I don't think I would feel compelled to that. I think you could do that legitimately, but Psalm eighty eight is part of our experience. Yeah, yeah. We're recording this a few days after Easter, and you know we we have our our Good Friday service that that we do, and um, our Good Friday service is that we do a tenebrae service. If you're familiar with that, um, you know, focus on on darkness actually, and so that's why even Psalm 88 is is in my mind. Um, you know, and we have seven candles. We go through the seven sayings of Christ. Each of them is extinguished, um, and the service ends literally in darkness, and we we have a silent dismissal. And so, you know, don't, there's no tea or coffee, there's no donuts, just, just leave. <laughs> and, and it, it is such a dark note to end on. And I, um, yeah, we've been doing it for years. Um, people have said that it's one of the highlights of their, of the Christian calendar, um, because it kind of dwells in the darkness or maybe follows the literary genre, or at least that, that part of the dark story. And, you know, we invite people to come back Easter Sunday. Everyone knows what's coming next. You know, spoiler alert, he, he comes back. Um, but I, we're feeling that darkness. And I, I appreciate even with this book kind of encouraging people towards not only being grim all the time, but by allowing the, the passage to shape the communication of it. You got it. <laughs>
Hey, here's here's the here's the last question in these next few moments. Um, yeah, Dr. Arthur's, how are you currently trying to improve? Are you trying to get better at anything? Is there something that you'd like to be better at next year? Yes, two things that I'm working on. Uh, one is more of a formal or a delivery thing, and one is more theological. Here they are. Um, I'm trying to rely less on my notes, so more eye contact, less reading. I take with me into the pulpit a pretty thorough outline. It's not quite a manuscript, but it's probably about 60% of a manuscript. And um, I'm just trying to not be so reliant on that. I'm trying to uh, internalize the main moves, the main chunks of the sermon, which I have right there on paper in front of me, and then speak extemporaneously, naturally, thought on fire. So I'm working on that is reducing my reliance on notes. And uh, the second thing I'm doing is I'm trying to get better at Christ-centered preaching and showing people the connection to Christ and redemption, setting my particular text, it might be Psalm 88, within the meta-narrative of creation, fall, redemption, hope, consummation, trying to, do, trying to interpret the Bible that way and then present that uh, homiletically in the sermon itself. I think I'm getting better. I don't think I'm great at it, but that's what I'm working on right now. Wow, two two wonderful goals. And uh, hey, I'll send you some podcasts about Christ and preaching. <laughs> We're all about that here. Um, uh, okay, well, thank you very much. And I, I love that. I didn't prep you on that last question. And so I, it's wonderful, even that you're modeling uh, to me and to all of us, you know, that even the one to whom... I am learning from is looking to improve and and to grow. So that's that's encouraging. And so as we end every episode with, I hope that this episode and every episode of the podcast helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. So thank you, Dr. Arthurs. All right. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Arthurs. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you did too. Uh, I bet you did because you're listening all the way to the end of the podcast. So good job. Uh, If you are listening to this episode on the week in which it came out, uh, that means that there's time for you to go to our social media and to like the picture of the Colossians and Philemon commentary. Uh, tag a friend and make sure you're following and then you're going to be entered into this competition. Also, you can be added a second time if you include a quote from the interview that you just heard. So go back, listen again (laughs) and um, write down a quote and we'll enter you into the competition twice. So that's the giveaway. And then also just to let you know that our next in-person training event is going to be in the month of October in the state of Idaho in the wonderful city of Boise. So more details will be released as um, plans are clarified, but mid-October in Boise is our next training event. I hope to see you there. Okay, and now I'm going to leave you with a preview of next week's episode. 
maybe you noticed that Dr. Arthur says that he wants to improve in Christ-centered preaching. Well, have I got a podcast recommendation for everyone. Uh, this is a workshop that I did in Costa Mesa, California on that very same topic. Uh, essentially, I argue for the fact that faithful Bible teaching consistently shows Jesus to be the true hero. Here's a preview of episode 221, and I'll catch you next Tuesday for the next episode of the Expositors Collective Podcast. Next, in Luke 24, which Tim referenced earlier on, uh, he says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then next, verse 44 He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms uh, should be fulfilled. And so these these verses um, have become very precious to me. And and those last two um, on the the road to Emmaus, it's the, the freshly resurrected Jesus walking along there and having this conversation where again and again, it says that he's beginning with Moses and the prophets and the law. He's explaining how they are pointing towards him. And he's explaining how the events that took place in Jerusalem earlier that weekend are in culmination or in fulfillment of what has already taken place. And and he talks about, you know, kind of all of them. And here's a question that I ask myself before I teach any passage, no matter what testament, I think, what would Jesus say about this passage on the road to Emmaus? So beginning at the beginning of Moses and going all the way throughout the law and the prophets and the Psalms, um, if if those two um, saddened disciples learning from Jesus about this, if they would have said, well, but hey, sir, you stranger on the road with all the answers, what about Isaiah 53? Uh, You, you, sir, what about Psalm 3? Uh, What about Joel 2? How does what took place in Jerusalem this last weekend connect with that? And so kind of as like this mental exercise, I try to think, how would he answer? And and here is um, kind of the sentence that I want to talk about. Uh, This is the big idea for the next few moments that we have together. Uh, If you're taking notes, you should write one sentence down. This sentence, okay? Or if you're using your workbook, It's already written for you. Um, You should underline it.